0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
1: This episode is sponsored by TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. Want great new books to read but overwhelmed by all the publishing buzz? Let us help. Tell TBR about your reading preferences and what you're looking for and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there is an option for every budget. TBR is produced in partnership with Print, a bookstore in Portland, Maine, so you can treat your shelf and support an indie too. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co. Welcome to Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 79, and we are recording on May 15th. We had to double check the month (laughs) because time has no meaning. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today we are rereading our favorite books.
0: Yay! I actually really enjoyed this one.
1: Me too. Yeah. And I'm so glad what we did here was we recorded a little thing a couple weeks ago before we started our reread about what we remember about our books. And then, you know, fast forward to today where we have read them and you'll get to hear the difference between our vague (laughs) memories and then our actual rereading. But we are also going to talk about some newsy things. And before we do that...
0: I'm going to tell you about our sponsor, which is Devoted by Dean Koontz, and this comes to us from Amazon Publishing. Canine or human, it's hard to find a more lovable character in fiction than Kip. Devoted has every mark of a classic, according to the Associated Press. From Dean Koontz, the international best-selling master of suspense, comes an epic new thriller about a terrifying killer and the singular compassion it will take to defeat him. Only a force greater than evil can stop what's coming next. Read the Amazon charts, Wall Street Journal, and USA Today bestseller today at amazon.com slash devoted. This one definitely sounds like it's for the animal lovers out there because it does feature a uniquely gifted dog with a heart of gold and a brilliant 11 year old. So this sounds like an interesting read. I'm sure everybody has heard the name Dean Koontz. If that sounds like something in your wheelhouse, you should check out Devoted again from Amazon Publishing. All right, let's talk about some news. And it looks like I'm up first. And I thought that this was really interesting because it does feel like, as everybody on our Slack, on Book Riot Slack, has been saying, it's vampire season again. Yes. <laughs> and so this recent news just came out that Amazon Network snatched up the comprehensive rights to develop Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles novels and also her lives of the mayfair witches novels so this includes quite a lot of titles and i think my initiation into this was watching the i guess it was the 90s adaptation of interview with the vampire mm-hmm. um and there have been some other adaptations and it looks like there were some projects that were happening that kind of got scrapped um so like one of the Pushing Daisies, the actual Pushing Daisies creator, Brian Fuller, was developing or working on a project for one of Anne Rice's books way back when. Not really way back when. It's 2018. That's like two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and then he left. And then Hulu picked it up. And then they left. And now AMC has all of these books. They get to develop them all and so there's, of course, Vampire Chronicles and then the Mayfair Witches series, which started with The Witching Hour. Um, and I was just, you know, I think everybody knows how prolific Anne Rice has been. So many books over so much time. I was kind of, I, I don't think I realized that Interview with the Vampire was published in 1976. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> And there have been so many books since then. And so the Vampire Chronicles and like the Mayfair Witches um, books also have some crossover books, which are also under AMC now. They can develop those. So it's like uh, Blackwood Farm. Well, actually, yeah. Blackwood Farm and Blood Canticle, it looks like, ended the Vampire Chronicles. And then there were a couple of books that were crossover. So all of these books are coming to AMC and this is like the first we've heard of it. The news came out. It was actually initially a Facebook post from um, the Vampire Chronicles Facebook page uh, where they were talking about the acquisition and it does look like Anne Rice and her son are on board to help with the development so they're going to have some creative control here they're going to be executive producers on it so we'll see how those turn out and which one they start with I don't know if they're going to be going in like any sort of um, chronological order or starting with the vampire chronicles first but I assume that's naturally what they're going to do but it remains to be seen but for those of you who are Big Anne Rice fans and very happy about all of the vampire stuff coming out recently between, you know, the Twilight, the new Twilight book and everything. This is probably very exciting news.
1: <laughs> I'm <laughs> hearing a lot of like hedging here, Sharif. <laughs> Are you I, over vampires?
0: <laughs> I actually, I love vampires. I. I just need them to be a certain way. And I actually, when Interview with a Vampire came out, I was obsessed with that movie. Like, yeah. I watched it so many times. And then I was so sad when Anne Rice had her criticisms about it because I was like, oh, I didn't know that she was upset about the casting and things like that. Um,
1: so, yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, I love, I love vampires and I... I think I am excited about this. I just am sometimes like, well, you know, it'd be cool to see some new vampire stories as well. Yeah,
1: that's real. Also, so it's not a secret that Anne Rice doesn't like to be edited or like at this point won't allow anyone to edit her. Yeah. Like she has publicly stated that. Um, and I can't help but wonder if the reason that, you know, it didn't work out with Brian Fuller and Hulu might be because she has a very particular vision for how this is going to go down and is not open to other people's input and I think that we learned, like, for example, with Star Wars 1 through 3, that when a creator can't be edited anymore, sometimes bad things happen. <laughs> I'm Is so I'm glad you said it. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm I'm, here to say. It. So, like, I... And I also have to confess at this point that my only knowledge of this franchise is through the movies I saw Queen of the Damned in the theater FYI. oh my gosh Aaliyah <laughs> R.I.P. so amazing. great oh that was I mean her performance her and Stuart Townsend like I really loved that movie I did too so many people really dislike it I know I they just it, hated it yeah <laughs> I agree. I thought it was great. Um, But I don't, I hadn't read the book. So like, you know, if there are issues with, you know, how it was adapted, like I am not aware of them. Anyway, Mm -hmm. point being, I am not a full-fledged member of this fandom. So, you know, that is just my caveat to my hot take on this. (laughs) But I kind of feel like this could be a very hot mess and it could be fun and it could not be fun. We'll have to wait and find out.
0: I'm sure there will be plenty of news about it. Yeah,
1: (laughs) no doubt, no doubt. Oh Lord. Uh, Okay, let's see. Where do we want to go next? I I just want to I want to make sure I. Well, no, okay. I'm going to save that for later. (laughs) All right. The next. I know I have so many things I want to talk about. So the next thing I want to say is that this is kind of an interesting thing because we've been tracking the development of this for so long. And it's actually like finally coming to screens. The Snowpiercer TV show with Jennifer Connelly and David Diggs premieres on TNT on May 17th. So we'll already have done that by the time you hear this episode. And then I believe it will be available for, inter- according to the article that I'm linking from Decider, you can watch it streaming on the TNT website uh, on starting on May 25th. So it'll be like, you know, the episodes will be up on a rolling basis on their website. It currently doesn't look like it's going to be on Netflix or Hulu. But I am so curious about this, especially because this piece also, um, oh, maybe it was a different piece. Anyway, there's a crime angle to this, which I didn't realize. Like, David Diggs is playing a murder detective. Oh. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Like, Whoa plot twist um so i'm super curious to see what that looks like and, yeah, and we soon actually can see that. Like, I feel like this is one of the first things that we have been talking about on the show forever that we can finally watch.
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. For real. It feels like we're always talking about what's in development and what's yeah. going to be adapted. And then it's like nothing ever happens. Just right. Just into the <laughs> mist.
1: <laughs> but this actually happened. And soon we can see how it is. So I'm super curious. I definitely will be tuning in online. I don't actually know if I have TNT or not. I guess I should find out.
0: (laughs) I don't think I do either. And first of all, I was like, I saw this article and like the headline is, will it be on Netflix? And then it literally like makes you scroll all the way down to find out that no. Internationally, it will be not in the US. So...
1: (laughs) Yeah, I know. It is it is a little clickbaity, but it actually has, like, decent information for where it to does. find it, which is why I decided to link it, so. Yeah, yeah,
0: it does, and we're here to tell you right away that you will not have access right. to the it. Right. The
1: answer is no internet. to Netflix.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm really looking forward to this as well, um, and I feel like it's going to be a nice – I mean, I don't know – what's going to be happening with life when it premieres, but I doubt it's going to be much different than what it is today. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like it's going to be maybe a nice, like, escapist romp to watch this, to have, like, an episode-by-episode thing to look forward to as well.
1: Mm-hmm. If I have TNT. Yeah, right. Well, you have the internet,
0: so, That's true. You know. This is true. Awesome! Well... Something nice to look forward to. Yeah. My next one is a quick one, especially since this is sort of something you have to read to appreciate, but I just came across this piece that is titled Classic Science Fiction with absolutely no agenda whatsoever, Mm -hmm. and I just thought it was, it's a satire, I thought it was funny because this is something I come across a lot and I think I came across it um a lot in social media as well where there's this phenomenon where people get really upset about things like fantasy and science fiction having a an agenda and People get upset about politics being in, and it's not just, of course, science fiction and fantasy. It's in all literature. And it always boggles my mind. And so I appreciated when this piece came out where it literally lists what usually people are trying to say is don't read newer stuff, contemporary science fiction that's coming out that, quote unquote, has an agenda, you should read some of the classics or look to the past for the real writing in the genre. And so this post, which is very tongue-in-cheek, lists some of these very same sorts of classics. Like everybody I knew when I was starting to read science fiction would tell me to read like Isaac Asimov, and that's a big name in classic science fiction. And so he goes through this list of talking about, these authors and these works that people will sometimes point you to the same people who will say you know there shouldn't be an agenda there shouldn't be politics in these books and it is very explicitly it very explicitly has an agenda all of these books have an agenda they have their politics in them a lot of them are very obviously and explicitly (laughs) agenda so Mm it's like I just like, I, I just want to kind of send this to people whenever they say that. And I think maybe it's a good resource to have around if you're like, you know, I'm tired of talking about this. I'm just going to link you something. Yeah. Like, just read this and I'm going to walk away and go live my life right now. So. Right. <laughs> yeah, It does
1: feel like a great post to have in your back pocket uh, for sure. For mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, well done to James Davis Nichol for this gem. Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, well, shall I do my quick uh, read yeah. also? Okay, so, yeah, also this, you have to look at it to uh, fully appreciate. Oh but my goodness. The, there was a yes. Twitter thread recently that was the men of Middle Earth as bad ex-boyfriends, and the Mary Sue has collected most of them, and they are amazing. Uh, Alex Aurelia, who is a writer, decided to take on this project on their Twitter feed, and it is so funny. I spend a good 10 minutes at my computer just laughing about these. They're perfect. They're just perfect perfect and hilarious and i am going to read you the boromir one because yes <laughs> it's so good so okay so boromir number one horrible combination of inferiority complex and fragile ego two has never heard the word no three really really thinks getting married will fix your relationship
0: problems question mark <laughs> it's so good I didn't want to read anything else after I read this because I was like nothing is ever going to top this
1: no no oh wait I take okay I'm gonna read you one more and then I'll stop I swear to god I have to read the Legolas one out loud (laughs) will not tell anyone you're dating so he can keep his options open Steals your hair products and complains when he sees girls wearing thrasher tees. Like, (laughs) just just gold. So I'm going to be keeping an eye out on this writer for sure, because this is the kind of humor that I 100% appreciate. And if you need a good laugh, uh, you don't have to listen to me read them. You can just go read them yourself
0: you really I highly I literally I read all the way to the end even with some of the characters I haven't thought about for a minute I was just like it was just so funny and so intelligently crafted I couldn't stop I highly (laughs) recommend it thank you for making my day with that
1: (laughs) oh you are so welcome
0: Um, okay, I think that my, the only one I really have left is a quickie as well, which is just some Percy Jackson, everybody was screaming about this. So I have to tell everyone that Percy Jackson, a Percy Jackson TV series is coming to Disney Plus. So that is very exciting news for all the Percy Jackson fans. I could not believe, like, I I know that Rick Reardon is a big name and people love those books but I am always surprised that when I actually see the fandom in action but Rick Reardon and his wife came out on uh Twitter with a video to announce this and it was very cute and so look out for that on Disney Plus Plus. and I'm really glad because I have access to Disney Plus so maybe I'll actually start paying attention to these books because they sound really fun. They uh, actually
1: talk about a good escapist reading for right now. Preepy mm-hmm. made me read them a couple years ago <laughs> because that's she is that's the kind of fans that Rick Riordan has like that this series has as people who, you know, grown adults who will be like, I'm not speaking to you again until you've read at least one of these.
0: That is hilarious, but I don't they, doubt
1: it. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're very fun. They are really fun. And, you know, that middle grade, like kind of doofy sense of humor. Like all of the Pegasi have like Long Island accents and are named things like Bob. And it's just there's like a lot of fart jokes, and you know, but there's also really fantastic representation. You can tell he's worked hard at that. And uh, so I do recommend, especially if you need an escape right now, like now is a good time to dive into that. Very Um, exciting. Yeah. My my last little bit here is also pretty quick. Uh, I saw today that there is already a Mad Max Furiosa prequel screenplay written. And George Miller is actually trying to, like, cast the actress who will play 20-something Furiosa. And George Miller plans to make a prequel movie, like as soon as basically as soon as he's done working on 3000 years of longing which the production has been delayed because of covid so you know who knows mm-hmm. how long we will have to wait for this but i at this new york times piece i was really surprised to hear that like they wrote the screenplay before they actually even filmed fury road because they were so fascinated by the character that is which, commitment like, Yeah, right? I mean, and also not surprising, right? Like, this is obviously an amazing character. And so it makes sense to me that, you know, you could do a lot more with her. And so it's super interesting. Uh, I just love the idea that this has been, you know, in their heads for forever. People have read the screenplay and, you know, say good things about it. I also hope that this is an opportunity for the one of the movies in this franchise to do a better job by especially it's women of color characters Mm -hmm. because you know great like lady representation but not so great in terms of the stereotypes that got leaned into for the female characters of color and so it would be nice to see an improvement in this you know next installment. You've got time is all I'm saying. you got time to like figure that jazz out. So. I
0: agree wholeheartedly.
1: Yeah. But super excited about it. Like that's yeah. I, I will I will definitely watch that.
0: Yeah. I look forward to it as well. And it sounds like it's going to be a big production. So Yeah.
1: All right. Well, I think that's it for our news. Let's see. Uh, It is my turn to tell you about a sponsor. And our next one is Always Human by Ari North, published by Little Bee Books. And this is actually based on the, well, it was first serialized on the popular app and website Webtoon. And it ran from 2015 to 2017. Apparently it had over 76,000 unique subscribers during its run. It's finally in print with, uh, in sponsorship with GLAAD, G-L-A-A-D, the great organization. And It Is Always Human is a graphic novel about the developing relationship between two young women in the near future. It's drawn in a manga-influenced style and with a really gorgeous color palette that leaps off the page. If you've seen the cover, you know exactly what they're talking about. That. It is really vibrant and beautiful, and they're pitching it as a love story in a gentle sci-fi setting with a queer and by a queer woman cartoonist. And like I like talk about a bingo car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like tick tick tick. You did you write this for me? Like what's going on <laughs> here? Um, so I'm really excited to check it out, and you might be as well. Again, that is always human by Ari North, uh, published by Little B Books. All right. So as I was telling Sharifa recently, I have had some interesting reread experiences lately where mm. I thought I totally remembered a book and then I reread it and it turned out I remembered nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, we each picked a book that we were like, do I remember this book? Um, And my pick is a stranger in olandria by sophia samatar who i know i've talked about on the show quite a bit i love her work and i own like pretty much everything that's available in print and i was going back through my old reading records and i was like oh yeah it's been a while i read i read stranger in olandria in 2014 and i when I was thinking about this book, I was like, man, I feel like I could almost do, like, a line by line of the first couple chapters. Like, I remember it's about this character, Javik, and his father's a pepper merchant, and he, like, lives on this island, and, you know, it has like a complicated relationship with his father and is growing up. And they're trying to figure out like, is he going to take over the business? But his father doesn't really trust him and all of this stuff. And then his dad dies. And so he has to like take over the yearly selling trip to the mainland, which is Olandria. And he goes and he's, like, doing the classic, like, oh, I'm going to get drunk at the bar and, like, squander my merchanty riches and maybe be a little bit irresponsible. But, like, I'm also trying to inherit the family business. And he exp- he gets haunted by the ghost of a girl who was on the boat with him going to Alondria who died. And I'm like, okay, I know that's what happens. But like literally the book description would tell you all of that, too. (laughs) So I've just confirmed what the publisher has said about this book so far. And I remember after that part, like there's like a shadow cult and there's like this political thing and there's like maybe there's a war, but maybe there's not. And he ends up in this house and maybe the house is haunted And I'm like, I remember that, like, he's writing down the story of this girl's life, but I literally don't remember how it ends or what actually happens with the shadow cult or the pot. Like, I have no idea what happens after he gets the initial haunting happens. I just don't know, which is shocking to me. I'm like, how can I not remember Three quarters of this book that I loved so much and do like love so much in my memory, but I don't. I just don't remember what happens, which is bananas. So, uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm really curious to see what the reread experience is like. I have no. I have no idea.
0: <laughs> it's gonna be interesting, and I. It is funny. I think that we both ended up choosing books we really love. Obviously, we probably don't want to read something that we forgot because we hated it. (laughs) But I also was like, I have a really bad memory for certain things. And I have a particularly bad memory about things I read in college. So Mm. I chose... The Conjure Woman and Other Conjure Tales. This is by Charles W. Chestnut. And this is one of those books, I tell everybody I love this book and I used to recommend it all the time. And then one day I was like, what? What if I actually had to describe what this book is about? Like, especially when we're recommending books to people, you know, Mm -hmm. our fellow peers at Book Riot and things. And if somebody was like, so what happens? I'd be like, um, it was really good and, um... There was somebody who maybe stopped someone on the road. There is a. So, (laughs) what I remember about this, I read it like way back in my uh, African American lit class in college. And there were two specific books for my entire, I was an English major. And there was, there were literally two books that stood out as being, as being books I enjoyed in college in the like four oh. years. <laughs> wow. It was real rough. I did yeah. not have a great experience. Um, But this was one of them. This one and uh, Their Eyes Were Watching God, which isn't science fiction and fantasy. I oh,
1: love that book, though. So
0: good. Um, But yeah, Conjure Woman... Another Conjure Tales is this collection of short stories. I do remember that. And I remember that it starts with a man who's either a slave or a freed slave. And He's talking to some white people for some reason. I can't remember. (laughs) I think they were passing by on the road. I think that's what's happening. And maybe they were asking for directions or something. And then he launches into these sort of like folk tales that are rooted in African traditions and um, spirituality. And they all have this theme of like, Curses and hauntings and that sort of thing. And, of course, there's the Conjure Woman story. So I remember that. And I remember that it's told in a specific dialect. And I had, like, this sort of nerdy pleasure of figuring out what words meant. Mm. That was, like, one of my weird niche Nerdy joys of the English degrees. I felt the same way about reading the Canterbury Tales. It's mm-hmm. really embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> no, I was just thinking, I was like, oh, it's like when I read the
1: Canterbury Tales or yeah. The Fairy Queen by Edmund Spencer. It's like, oh yeah, what does that word mean?
0: <laughs> it's exactly that feeling. And so I was I remember patting myself on the back a lot about that. Um, and also it just made the book and the storytelling really Like, it was so different than anything I was reading at the time, because, of course, we were focusing on a lot of, like, dead white men, as you do when you're an English major. And so, Mm. it just felt like a a breath of fresh air. And also, because it had all of these magical elements, I was just, like... I did not get to read anything like that in college and I think I was just like really thirsty for anything in the speculative realm. So I have really vague memories about what each of the story, each story in the collection was about. I think there was one where something happens, a a baby, I'm sure that there are going to be some trigger warnings in this, um, and there was some sort of like curse on a house and a, Lightning bolt hit a tree. (laughs) I have very (laughs) strong visual senses of this story. And there's a... The goofer Grapevine is one story I remember the title of. And I was like, well, what happened to the grapevine? And why was it cursed? (laughs) (laughs) It's really ridiculous. And I'm kind of like, I can't believe how little of this book I remembered because it's so... It was such a good – I remember just loving it. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I actually have this on my shelf, and I bought it because for this very specific reason, I'm so glad I remembered this. Um, And then I just never got around to rereading it. So now's the chance.
1: Yay. Yeah. (laughs) This is going to be a journey, I think. It is. (laughs) Oh, and you know, I feel like there are so many books I could do this with. And it was actually really hard to narrow down. Yeah, <laughs> But I was also thinking a little bit about like, what do I want to read right now? Like, what feelings yeah. do I want to have? And that is one thing I feel like I do remember is how what feelings the book gave me. And so that was, I will be interested to see, I doubt that's going to change, but I am a little curious to see, like, in the past six years, do the feelings that I get from this book change at all?
0: Yeah, that's going to be, you're right, because I I didn't actively make the decision to choose something also that, um, you know, I'd want to necessarily read right now, but I've been really thinking a lot about african folktales so i think that's why this one came to mind but i'm in the same boat like we read we read a lot like Mm -hmm. and it's it's really difficult to keep the details of all the books like i can't remember so many character names Mm -hmm. who are the main characters i don't know Mm -hmm. what do you say
1: no. I didn't remember the main character's name of Stranger and Laundry until I looked at the book description. Because it doesn't matter. Like, I know all the things that are important to know about him. Well, that's not even true. I don't remember. But, yeah. Detail tales. <laughs> all right. Well, we will pick up shortly again after we have actually reread these.
0: Yes. Let's talk about our picks. Yeah,
1: so you've you'll you'll just have heard us talk about what we do and don't remember. And mostly what we don't remember. <laughs> yeah, mostly what we don't remember. <laughs> and I have to say that rereading A Stranger in Olandria by Sophia Samatar was a really interesting experience because It wasn't so much that, like, there were plot details that I didn't remember, but what I had not quite retained other than remembering that I loved the reading experience was why I loved the reading experience. Mm. And it is because this is such an elaborate and immersive novel. The prose is so ornate. And I had forgotten. Like there like I looked up words, which I don't, you know, always especially in fantasy, I'm just like, uh, eh, like if I can't remember like what chalcedony is, you know, in terms <laughs> of like gemstones or whatever, I'm just like, ah, whatever. Um But, you know, Sophia Semitar has a vocabulary. She's not afraid to exercise it. And it feels like that, you know, I'm thinking of like Tolkien, actually, in a certain way, where the author isn't afraid to just describe the things of this fantasy world in so much detail that you can't help but see it and feel it and smell it and, you know, just be entirely present. With this world. And in the same way that she doesn't shy away from really leaning into description and like beautiful evocative sentences, she's also built like mythology and folklore, and there's folk songs and poetry and, you know, just all of these, just just such rich history in a fantasy novel, which is so like there's there's good world building right there's and then there's like deep world building, yeah, so I think I want to say like good world building is when you do feel like there's so much more you just haven't seen it yet, right, like you know that there's more to this world, this author has gone out of their way to create a world that feels like yeah, there's more here, and i want I want to see it, and then this kind of really deep world building just, like, throws you this stuff that, you know, doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the plot, but it's, it's, it's enriching the characters, it enriches the atmosphere of the book. It's just amazing to read. If you're in the right headspace, I will say that I remember having to take two stabs at reading this book, and the first time I was not in the right mind frame, it was too slow for me, uh, which yeah. was interesting to remember, yeah. But, like, the second time around... I mean, there could not have been a more perfect time in my life for me to reread this book. It's like, yes, take me away. Like, give me a completely different world to be 100% immersed in. Like, I am here for that. So, yeah. So And there were plot things that I absolutely had forgotten. And... I don't want to say that the plot is not important because the plot is amazing. And and the whole book ends up being a love letter to the power of the written word in this really lovely, beautiful way. But, but I just had forgotten how deep the storytelling goes. And it's interesting, too, because I've read her short stories, which are, like, so tight and concise. And I don't... I don't think a lot of them have that sort of elaborate sentence building, you know. Um, so, like, she's clearly got options in her toolbox, you know. So Samatar does when when she goes to write, she has different styles available to her. She has different, you know, focuses, uh, and so it's really cool to see an author play in different ways. And yeah, I just, I, I like clearly, I'm just gushing about it. <laughs>
0: That's amazing. Um, Yeah. I see this book recommended all the time as, you know, used as an example of really great fantasy writing. Mm -hmm. So it's been on my list for a really long time because of that. But I did get the sense that it was a big world-buildy, like, time to sit down and really do some reading type of book. So, Mm -hmm. but you're right. This is the perfect time for that sort of thing. So um. yeah I had a similar experience where so <laughs> when I was talking about my book which is The Conjure Woman and Other Conjure Tales um, I really didn't I realized how much I did not remember and it's funny because I read that book in an academic setting so you would think like I would remember some of the finer details about <laughs> it or like you know, whatever my analysis was of it back then. But I realized, like, I had no recollection of that. And I almost feel like reading it now, I was kind of in a better place to analyze it, because Hmm. back then I was so deeply entrenched. Like, everything I read was, you know, by, you know, they were all classics by older, like, white people. And I didn't read a lot of books by authors of color and I have spent so much time especially in recent years examining like or thinking a lot about like race and oppressive systems that it it clicked with me a lot more than it did back then when it was just to me a really entertaining really refreshing read so I mean to set it up since I did a terrible job of it obviously (laughs) when I was talking about it before so the story takes place like after the civil war it's long enough that there's this white northerner who comes down to north carolina and decides you know what north carolina is it's settled down enough after the war enough to move to this place because his wife is like has some mysterious ailment um and so they come down to this plantation that used to be owned by this person McCat, I don't know how to pronounce his name. He owned a bunch of slaves, so it was this master type character, and at this plantation, this northerner meets Julius, who's sort of affectionately known as Uncle Julius. And I had completely forgotten. I remembered that the stories got told by this person that they meet on the road, but I had completely forgotten that there's this whole storyline. Like throughout the book, each chapter is book ended by these interactions between Uncle Julius and then this unnamed narrator, this northerner and his wife where the story is set up by Uncle Julius who is there who's get tired as their coachman and they're always on their way to go do something uh like you know humdrum and normal to work on the plantation or whatever because he's trying to become a winemaker for some reason And so Uncle Julius always starts to get into these stories uh, based on whatever they're doing, usually because he has some ulterior motive. So, the brunt, like most of the book, is these folk tales, these stories that involve conjure women and people turning into animals and like goofered grapevines and things like that. Uh, But there's this other story where uncle julius and the narrator and his wife are kind of getting through their day-to-day life and uncle julius has something up his sleeve so i thought that was really interesting because i can't believe i completely forgot that this was like these were stories within a story because Mm. that's sort of right up my alley but (laughs) i did love this book so maybe that was part of the reason so (laughs) I don't know. I I think it was it was really incredible. Charles Chestnut is he was this white passing biracial man who identified as African American in the post Civil War South and he was an activist and an active member of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. And a lot like his fiction was mainly to examine and criticize white supremacy. And this was his first book that was published like right at the turn of the century in 1899. And if you look this book up anywhere, you'll see that it had a lot of like editorial oversight. And one of the things I thought about that I know I wouldn't have thought about back then when I was reading this book and quickly forgetting it, is that like you think about how much difficulty people of color have telling their stories without you know, all sorts of people trying to box it into something that's marketable for a white audience. But Mm -hmm. think about how it was back then. And you can kind of tell like, you know, you have these white northerner characters who are really outspoken about how repulsive slavery was, but also from like these subtle ways the narrator describes and characterizes the black people who are, you know, servants or who live in the vicinity of his estate you know, he kind of holds on to certain stereotypes about Black people. And there's also like the sort of magical Negro vibe you're getting from Julius. And I think if you read it, like, you can see that there's definitely a sort of attempt to reach white readers, probably Northerners as well, probably people who are exactly like the person in the character in the story who's narrating trying to reach them and show them how terrible these oppressive systems were and are without really having to make them examine themselves and their lives. Mm. Because this narrator comes across as very like, you know, I'm... I am welcoming this man into our home, and we have this mutually beneficial relationship where he advises me on things about, you know, the plantation and the community because I'm an outsider, and I have employed him, and we are not really friends, but we have a friendly relationship, and I just think it, I just thought it was so fascinating with this second read, and I just love that I got a chance to really take a close look at this away from, like, the education system, which isn't always great at actually educating (laughs) you on things. So, I feel like I got so much out of this and that I... It just made me want to read more of Charles Chestnut's book, even though this is, unfortunately, the only one that has, like, magic and folklore and that sort of thing, but... Um, I thought that the folk stories were really great. And I will say that I was right in that there, there is the dialect that Julius uses all over this book. And so it can be really difficult when you start out reading this to sort of get into the flow of reading it. Because it is very, like if you even look at a page of one of the stories that's narrated by Julius, you will see that it is, there's lots of like punctuation marks and things and there are some words i had to read a few times before i figured out what they were and Mm. also the n word is used to describe every single black person julius uses Mm. that word to describe every single black person including himself um and it is like that that was the language that was used but just so you know that is there all over the pages all over the book but um yeah, I just got so much out of this and I really I really enjoyed it a second time and I'm not a rereader, so that says a lot.
1: You're not a rereader. Yeah. That's interesting. Not for lack of time, just for preference.
0: It's both. I just always feel like even before I pick up the book, I just feel bored. Oh like, interesting! <laughs> even if I loved it loved the book I just immediately feel like I'm about to do some homework and I'm about to be (laughs) real bored and like or I'm gonna find something I actually don't like about the character yeah it's all sorts of stuff I don't know why but I am like I am like a child having a temper a temper tantrum sometimes when I for whatever reason have to reread a book it's so weird (sighs) That's No, that's so interesting. I kind of – I'm, like, a
1: little bit envious of that because – and I don't know if this is – so, okay, so, like, to backtrack. So I grew up rereading all of my books, like, almost compulsively because I just didn't have enough books to read ever. Like, you could not – give me enough books to read, so I would reread favorites over and over and over again. Um, and then as an adult working in the book industry, you just don't have time for that.
0: Oh, but yeah.
1: even so, <laughs> there are still books that I have reread, if not every year, then almost every year, which is wild and they all tend to be a very specific kind of book. Actually, they tend to be like urban fantasy (laughs) of a very specific kind, or high fantasy of a very specific type where it's like, I love the characters and I just want to spend time with them and like, feel like I know what I'm getting. I'm not worried about like opening a new book. Am I going to like it? Am I not going to like it? You know, am I, and, and, and it, but because they're books that I've reread over and over and over again, it's not quite the same as going back to something that I haven't reread since my first reading, because that to me feels much more fraught, right? You're like, oh God, what if I don't like it anymore? Like, I'm gonna, you know, wreck all of these fond feelings I had for it. Um, which is actually one of the reasons I didn't go too far back in my reading history for this project. I was like, I wanna read something that I feel pretty confident. I'm not going to be like, ugh! What was I thinking? You know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my goodness, that would have been so horrible if either I know. of us had like I, a. You know what? This gets just stricken off the list forever.
1: E- exactly, and I so I super didn't want to do that for you know, especially for like that doesn't make for a good podcast episode. So. <laughs> so, so I wanted to spare us all that experience, but but it is really interesting, and there are books that I am dying to reread that I just haven't had the chance yet because I feel like like I'm a, like Nine Fox Gambit for example by Yunha Lee. Oh yeah. That whole series I feel like they're so they're so complex that I know that there are things I missed on the first read through and I'm dying to go back and and find out what it was and how it all fits together in even more detail because I loved the reading experience so much. But I just, you know, haven't had the time. Uh, so, so, so I'm, I'm actually forever wanting to reread and not able to. <laughs> Which is- That's so funny. <laughs> Yeah, it's really funny. But this is, I like it that we have such two different approaches, because it's always interesting to hear, you know, about the other side of the
0: coin. I know it is. We just need to, like, find some science fictional way to, like, transfer some of our, my reticence and your willingness (laughs) to reread so that I at least once in a while pick up a book I've read already and maybe you feel more comfortable just you know not yeah
1: <laughs> yes exactly that's exactly right we like somebody invent that formula please
0: <laughs> but thankfully at least this rereading experience went smashingly i think
1: yeah yeah and hooray I for would us still
0: recommend this book <laughs> yeah yay for us we chose wisely
1: <laughs> we did we chose wisely we chose we are not melted into a puddle of goo by our choices <laughs>
0: I just see the Indiana Jones scene. That's so (laughs) weird in my head.
1: I can never not hear that. He chose (laughs) poorly. It's just forever engraved in my brain.
0: It's so good. Well, I guess that's it for that. Um, I hope everybody goes out there and this inspires them to pick up a book uh, they don't remember and actually (laughs) give it another read because sometimes it can be worth it. And thank you all for listening. You can always email us at Yeah at bookriot.com. Please do review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find us and we love to hear from you. You can find us online. Where can they find you, Jen?
1: I am on Instagram mainly at IamJenIRL. That's J-E-N-N-I-R-L.
0: And you can find me on Instagram at s Williams. That's S-Z-A-I-N-A-B-Williams. And until next time, happy reading, enjoy.